This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Tom O'Flynn, CFO of AES, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 254. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Carol O, CFO of the Fortune 500 company, Sealed Air Corporation. As we had become sort of a stoic manufacturing company that was too inward focused, and we, we could have been... Had things not changed, we could have been a company that might have been in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, but we would have been the example of the company that would have let hubris set in uh, because we were the market leader, but we were resting on our laurels. We, we had so much pressure to quickly improve from a performance standpoint and valuation standpoint. There's nothing like pulling together as a team. Uh, not just within finance, but across the company. Listen to our complete interview with Carol after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to Carol Lowe, CFO of Sealed Air Corp, the innovative company that way back when invented bubble wrap and today serves customers in 175 countries with over 25,000 employees. Carol joined Sealed Air in 2012. Previously, she worked for the Carlisle companies, the Fortune 1000 company. While at Carlisle, she served in a number of leadership positions, including uh, president of two business units, vice president and chief financial officer and treasurer. Carol, great to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm uh, very happy to have this opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah, so we're excited to hear what it is about the finance leadership role that has continued to drive you and allowed you to garner satisfaction from such uh, demanding roles. But first, uh, can you please take us back and share what were some of the career experiences that you feel helped prepare you for what you would take on at Carlisle and later uh, sealed air? Yes, thank you, Jack. Um, I, I think early on, uh, my first job out of college was with um, Ernst & Young, now EY, uh, in audit, and I progressed to become an audit manager. And one key thing I learned as I would go from client to client, uh, conducting those audits, working with a team, was how critical it was to understand the business that we were auditing. If I went in with the the checklist and was just looking at transactions and checking off if they were 
properly recorded, I, I wasn't really doing my job or meeting the client's needs because those audits needed to be risk-based. And if you did not understand the business, you did not understand the risk. And, uh, and an example I can give you, we were doing an audit for a company in Massachusetts and we were, you know, focused on doing a lot of the transactional testing. And one evening in the hotel room, uh, after we had completed the day's work, I was looking through a local newspaper and noticed an advertisement for the building where we were, the company was located, that it was for sale. No one at the management team had highlighted that, and for an entire corporate location to be selling the building within which it was located, that was that was a red flag. And what I realized is we we weren't asking some basic questions about the future of the business, what was going on, because we were so laser focused in and just ticking and tying things. Um, and it made a big difference in terms of how we looked at the business and where we needed to focus our efforts. So I, th I think that was key uh, to understand that. And I've carried that with me as I move forward. When I left public accounting after my husband and I had our son and I wanted a little less travel uh, and went to National Gypsum Company, uh, second largest gypsum wallboard manufacturer in the U.S., uh, it was really important to me to understand the business and how I, as a finance person, could add value. And I carried with me from Ernst & Young a great passion for working in a team-based environment, and that allowed me a lot of opportunities to be on projects uh, where it wasn't just finance-driven. Uh, I, I, I got to experience, and I drove and committed to be a business partner and when I went to Carlisle as treasurer and then became CFO and had the opportunity to become a division president for two different divisions, I think it's because at the heart of it, one thing that I've learned in my career is personally and with the team that I work with is trying to operate with agility to respond to business needs, business risks. Through that agility, having the information to develop insights, and then with those insights, you truly can be a strong business partner sitting at the table and help drive differentiated values and enable the businesses to deliver on their strategic plans for customers and shareholders and all the stakeholders. So when you do uh, arrive at Sealed Air... What is it? What's going through your mind here? What is the kind of job that you now want to create? So, Jack, when I arrived at Sealed Air, it was a very interesting time in the company's history. They had, it, nine months prior, they had completed their largest acquisition. They had paid $4.3 billion for a company. Uh, they did not have the support of the investor base. The stock had dropped by more than half. I was asked to come in and help start working on that challenge, help reestablish trust with our, the company's investors, uh, become a member of the executive team to decide how we were going to move forward. 
we were very fortunate. The board brought in uh, our new CEO, uh, Jerome Pierre Bear, uh, shortly after I came in, and we had to roll up our sleeves and decide how how we were going to progress the company forward and reestablish that trust. Uh, it was a great company in terms of the solutions. Uh, you referenced the bubble wrapped. Uh, there's a lot of great solutions for sealed airs the market leader, our, our food care business, uh, all based on you know, sustainability and reducing food waste with market-leading packaging for fresh proteins and the product care business. While it started with bubble wrap, uh, it's about reducing damage in the supply chain cycle and creating sustainability. And the same for our diversity business, which was the business that was acquired, uh, making a significant mark and being a leader in hygiene uh, around the world, helping improve quality of life. So we had great products for market leader, but as a company, we weren't operating as a market leader, and we needed to face the fact that the uh, prior management team had overpaid for the acquisition. So we quickly wrote off $1.9 billion dollars. Uh, we were transparent, honest with our investors, uh, showed that we were committed, that we're never completely satisfied, as our CEO likes to say, and that we were going to drive the company forward and reestablish it um, in terms of the value that it could create for our employees, for our customers, and for our investors. And again, what had to happen is we had become sort of a stoic manufacturing company that was too inward focused. And we we could have been, had things not changed, we could have been a company that might have been in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, but we would have been the example of the company that would have let hubris set in. Uh, because we were the market leader, but we were resting on our laurels. So, again, coming back to that with, with finance and my role was to make sure I had a rock star team to be there to support the businesses. Again, operate with that agility to be responsive because we we had so much pressure to quickly improve from a performance standpoint and valuation standpoint. So they had to have the agility, had to work to develop those insights to share that information with the business leadership across the world to make key decisions that, again, were going to drive that differentiated uh, value. And it may sound like it was a lot of hard work. It indeed was, has been, still is. But it has been a tremendous amount of fun because there's nothing like pulling together as a team, uh, not just within finance, but across the company and knowing you're really able to make a difference when you align on those key strategies and goals and you all drive towards it. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the team that you put together there at Sealed Air? I mean, you arrive, you have some different priorities. What did you have to do to get the team in the shape you want it? So when, when I came in, the first thing I had to do is some of the things that needed to change, they're, they're obvious. You go through your career, you build, you build that instinct of being able to assess things. 
But I also had to make myself pause because I did not know what I didn't know. And I, I would have been foolish to automatically start replacing people or assessing someone as not performing because maybe it was the situation or they had not had a good leader previously to deliver at their highest level. So, you know, I, I set out like most new people do in a role, you identify what what you want to accomplish within that first 90 days and then the first six months. Um, and I, I knew what the priorities were in terms of restoring credibility with our shareholders and making sure that we could deliver on the new commitment we were we were making to our investors for our earnings for the year. And so knowing I had those priorities and also needing to make a, sure I had a team that could deliver short-term as well as long-term, then spending the time getting to know each of my direct reports, hearing how they thought, how they assessed things, whether they even recognized that we had a significant challenge in front of us and needed to respond with a sense of urgency, uh, seeing if they were truly senior finance leaders in their own right know, that knew how to build a team, that knew how to um, you know, work on the business instead of just in the business so we could help drive that strategy. So I went about doing that assessment and I, I found some great diamonds in the rough that were buried a little deeper in the organization I was able to pull up. I had some that it became very clear um, while they might have added value in the past, they were not going to contribute value to the new sealed air as we move forward as a knowledge-based company. And they, I needed to make those transitions. I was fortunate that through my career, I, I've worked with some incredible people. I reached out to the ones I knew I just had to have on my team. Uh, one of them was had a great job in San Diego. I convinced him that he it was the best opportunity of his life to enjoy, to join me in um, New Jersey where it gets cold and uh, not not necessarily a, a a great town we were in, but definitely a great state and a uh, lot of opportunities there. So I the people I knew I had to have, I reached out, got them on board. And we started building out the rest of the team with a, a, a clear drive to retain and develop as many people as we possibly could that were already with the company. And we did a great job of that. We we brought in talent where needed, but we also have greatly enhanced the level of engagement and development for the finance team on a global basis. And while I'm incredibly proud of the strong stock price performance we've had over the past four years. Collectively, the return on value we have for our shareholders. I, I am honestly the most proud of the investment we've been able to make in the finance talent um, to help drive this company forward. I think it's probably it's the biggest gift as well as obligation that I have as a senior leader is being able to positively impact uh, the development of my team. Well, we like to ask our finance leaders to speak of their firm's uh, competitive edge. And we know that sealed air 
was out in front with uh, sustainability, uh, clearly. And while we think of sustainability as something that's become top of mind in recent years, sealed air uh, with bubble wrap really staked a claim way back when. Here was a product that was created using less material and, and less cost. But let's hear it from you and, and uh, ask the question, what is sealed air's competitive edge today? First and foremost, it is the, the commitment we have for our customers, that customer focus, and that we, we want to be there helping them service their customers better with the, the best innovation. Uh, we want our customers to be market leaders in their own right and for our solutions and our knowledge to drive that for them, to make sure that they are successful um, utilizing and leveraging our knowledge and our solutions. So, you know, creating value through our innovation and what we call our Change the Game initiatives, um, we, we're bringing disruptive innovation to them. And sustainability is important to our customers as well. And they, they know when they are working with us, they, they're going to have the most innovative solutions in the market. So they're very competitive. And um, I, I think that part of it, and then that drives everything else within the company and what we do and being, being obsessed with creating that value for our customers. And I think it's important when we talk about that obsession with value, that it's understood. It, it doesn't mean giving your customer something for the absolute lowest price because a lot of people will say, well, that's where you create value for customers having the lowest, the lowest cost for them. Because if we aren't receiving enough for the solutions we bring to our customers, we can't continue to invest in our R&D and in technology to continue to be the market leader, the market maker that then helps them achieve that same level as well. So we balance between Sustain. We know just have being, having great sustainable products and solutions, a customer's not going to buy because of that if we don't also have the best quality. And we do indeed have to have a very competitive cost. And so it, it's all focused on that, on the customer and what we can bring to them. And the sustainability matters. If you think about our, our product care business, it basically became the fundamental to create what is today this global supply chain. It helped make it possible to have products shipped and delivered all over the world and be protected. And in, in today's world, if you have our product care products uh, and you order something, maybe it's from an e-commerce and it's delivered to your home, if it is in if it's in mint condition and you don't have to return it, then you have that customer satisfaction. You don't have a truck that has to come bring the product to your house. They have to take it back because it's damaged, and then they have to bring another product to your house, and then they have to go back. So if you just think that 
simply the difference that sealed air is making from a sustainability. And we're always creating new products, um, such as those that extend for, uh, shelf life. We can take a fillet that you might buy in a grocery store, and if it's behind the butcher counter, maybe it lasts three days before that steak has to be converted to hamburger. If it's in our case-ready packaging, it can be 14 days that it will last. And we we know the feeding the world is a significant hurdle and obstacle we're going to face as, as we go forward for all of us. And sealed air is really making a difference. And so I, when we have that level of passion within the company, uh, those 25,000 employees that we have here, they're, they're all driving to deliver for our customers on, on those goals and that vision to create a better way for life. So you've, you've placed such a uh, large emphasis on those customer relationships and working closely with the customers. C- can you tell us how you, uh, what metrics uh, the firm is using to measure uh, those customer relationships? So we we do the standards that a lot of companies do in terms of customer retention, what's our churn, you know, wins, losses. So we, we look at that for each of our businesses, you know, month in, month out. We look at how much we're growing with uh, existing customers. How much are we bringing new customers in? Um, it, looking at those metrics, we look at uh, our success from a supply chain standpoint, standard metrics around are we delivering those solutions to our customers on time when they need them, the the right solutions. Um, Are our customers actually able to sell their products and solutions at a premium price in the market because our solutions are they are making their products more valuable, and we we actually can measure that. Um, So those are the the types of things from a standard standpoint. The other is how ingrained we are with our customers as a knowledge leader in the areas of food waste and product damage and hygiene where the leaders of our businesses are called on as thought leaders to help educate the industry and also with our customers. I can tell you I, I've visited many, many customers for all three of our businesses in my four-plus four years at Sealed Air, and many of them, we have employees that are there almost full-time in the factories or in the offices uh, assisting and being an inter- integral part of that business. Uh, I was in a customer uh, facility not that long ago in Greeley, Colorado. It was a meat processing uh, and one of our employees actually was leading the tour of the facility for me because he knows that operation so well and is in there all the time supporting that business. We met with the CFO and one of the operations leader before we went on the tour, and they asked us to look at an area where they had a bottleneck. And so when we're on the tour, we got to that area, and I I looked around and I said, well, this doesn't have anything to do with sealed air packaging and what we're doing. This is in a different uh, 
area of the process stream. Why, why was he asking us to look at this? It's because of our expertise around operational efficiency, because how we operate our own plants, as well as the fact that we know their business so well that they indeed think we can add meaningful value through our observations and bringing them solutions. Okay. Carol, we always like to ask uh, for a time in your career when you experienced a moment of strategic insight. We call them aha moments. Um, If you look back across the span of your career, what would you share with us? So, Jack, I guess I'm going to spin it a little bit different because it actually was probably an operational aha moment that I then was able to convert to make a difference in finance in my roles at Carlisle as well as now here in my my role at Sealed Air. Um, When I went to run uh, a business in South Dakota for uh, Sealed Air, so, you know, leaving North Carolina, which is where I'm from, and going to South Dakota, um, and I went, that was in 2008, and we all remember that time. It was the recession was hitting uh, significantly. I was going my first operational role to run a business uh, that was having a record year in terms of profitability. And the next year, we were down 60% for that that business because of the recession. And we were also at the same time as a company at Carlisle rolling out continuous improvement. Um, and I had a team I was responsible for the whole business, you know, sales, marketing, finance, supply chain, um, when you, manufacturing. When you run a business for Carlisle, you, you have it soup to nuts. And it was critical we were successful with continuous improvement. We needed to stay cash flow positive, being down 60%. I spent a lot of time on the plant floors for the, the plants uh, all in the country for that business, you know, trying working together with the team uh, so we could drive efficiencies, reduce costs, you know, and address being down 60%, minimize the layoffs as much as possible. Through that, seeing the empowerment of that you give the employees to make decisions to drive those efficiencies, taking out waste, and that success that then got us prepared for the next year, we had we won a significant order and could take the business up 30%, but we had size to be down 60%, and it was just so critical. Again, it comes back to that theme of operating with agility and driving differentiated value because of that and those insights. That team, by applying those continuous improvement disciplines and methodologies, we were able to do it. And because a plant floor is so visual and you can see where there's waste and you can see where you don't have good flow, but that exact same thing, it was like it just hit me. We we can do this in, in the office with processes. We have waste there too. It's just not as visual. And so when I left that business to go run another Carlisle business that was based in Oklahoma City, I made sure that our continuous improvement program had 
a critical element of continuous improvement and used it to help drive a change in culture for that company uh, around continuous improvement, never being satisfied, wanting to improve, drive greater value, and make sure that the finance team was operating efficiently, effectively on the core basics day-to-day so we could shift a lot of our time to be business enabling and business partnering. And it made a huge difference. And it wasn't about taking out, oh, we need to reduce finance headcount. It was about freeing up valuable time for incredibly talented people to sit at the table with the businesses and with supply chain and with R&D and make an impact and drive value. And I when I came to Sealed Air, it was that wasn't happening here. We did not have a continuous improvement culture, and it's the first thing I started doing. And telling a finance team they're going to have KPIs and metrics that you're going to put up on a board, and you're going to do boardwalks just like they do on the factory floor, it's not an easy sell. But I can tell you, I think fundamentally, it is one of the biggest keys to the success I was able to have as an operations leader for Carlisle, as a finance leader at Carlisle, and now as a finance leader at Sealed Air, because empowering my team to have the tools, the methodologies, the freedom and flexibility to reduce the amount of time they're spending on those routine transactions freeing up time so they can go do the fun stuff that makes a difference. We've been speaking to CFOs increasingly now about uh, the workforce and the role they're now playing in addressing some of the people challenges uh, their companies might face. When it comes to sealed airs uh, workforce and its people challenges, what what are your priorities really? So we... Um, I would say the company for a number of years had really underinvested in the development of the talent within the company. And there, there's great talent here. And many of them stayed throughout numerous years despite the lack of investment in their own development and not, not having, you know, strong career plans and career ladders. And so, as a management team, we've all made a commitment that we know we can't deliver market-leading exceptional solutions and innovation to our customers if we don't have the right talent in-house. So we're making significant investments around training, um, development, setting accountabilities, and being very clear about what people need to achieve to progress their career and, and having those open discussions and rewarding the the right performance. So and, and being honest with someone if if they're not in the right role, how can we help get them in the right role? If it's with sealed air grade, if it's not, how can we help them then transition to where they they may have uh, be better suited and can perform well and and facing that and working together to make it happy happen i can remember one of my earliest um messages you know webcast to the entire finance team as we kicked off um 
in 2014, after we'd made a lot of changes in 2013, was saying we we have to know if we have the, not only people in the right seats, but are they in the right house? We are going to be a fast-paced, knowledge-driven company and a market leader, and that requires a certain level of talent. We as a company are committed to investing in you via uh, uh, formal training, uh, in classrooms, online training, and by giving you development and stretch assignments with a lot of support, and that being the primary emphasis because you retain what you do. Um, but saying that that's what's required, we're going to invest in you, but you also need to be honest with you, us if you're not in the right seat or in the right house. You need to let us know because we want you to be successful even if it's not with sealed air. Let's have the discussion. And the, I'm not make this isn't a made up story. After that webcast, one of my VPs came to me and said, you're, you're not going to believe this. One of the top leaders in finance just came into my office and said, I'm, I'm not in the right seat and I'm not in the right house. And it's not that we didn't have some big watershed that that was happening everywhere, but we had a few cases of that. And it set a tone, and we made the commitment, and it's not just finances across the field here. We will invest in the employees, but we need the investment back in back in the company. And um, we it's it's about engagement and empowerment, and we're trying to, to, to walk the talk every day. Um, it's not always easy, but we feel like we're getting better and better at it. Okay. Well, that's a, uh, a nice segue to our, our mentoring round, really. Um, we'd like to begin by asking you if there was a piece of advice you wish someone had told you uh, at the start of your CFO career. So I, I, I think, and maybe this, this may be more relevant because I'm a female, is, um, and I, I, I'm going to generalize, it's not true of all women uh, who are progressing in their career, but I, I think a lot of us fall in this category. We're, you know, heads down, we're working very hard, we want to deliver, we want to be successful, and if, if we're doing that and we're uh, delivering excellence every day, hopefully somebody notices, they tap you on the shoulder and they say, Carol, we've got this next opportunity for you. Are you interested? And it's like, yes, great. I would love that. Thank you. You go do that job with excellence. You get that next opportunity. The phone rings. And throughout my career, that's what happened. And I wasn't I wasn't actively saying, what do I really want? I've worked hard. Let's face it, luck impacts a lot of things too, right place, right time, right opportunities to have that growth. And I, and I progressed pretty rapidly. Well, you know, sometimes couldn't believe I'd made it as, as far as I had, but I, I wasn't actively managing my career. And the first time I did that was as CFO at Carlisle Companies and the company was uh, wanted to fill a division president role. It was one in South Dakota. The CEO was talking to me about different people in the company he was considering, um, asking my thoughts about a, some of the individuals. And that went on, you know, for maybe a couple weeks. And he'd come to me and say, well, I'm not so sure about this person now, or maybe this person or this person won't move. And it dawned on me, why had he not asked me? 
because I did at some point. I, I wanted to run a business, have that broad P&L responsibility. I had not vocalized it uh, to him, so he knew that. Probably had not really vocalized it to myself because I had not taken the time to think about it. And reflecting now, when I raised my hand, I went to him and I said, Dave, why, why have you not asked me? And he looked up and he said, you would really go to South Dakota. And I said, for this opportunity, yes, provided I have your support to be successful because I've got gaps. So I also I had to acknowledge I had gaps, which wasn't easy because I'd always been a high performer. And, and that I was going to make a dramatic change and take a risk. And I wish I had done that much earlier in my career. And so my advice would be, be, be purposeful about what you want to achieve and how what what risks and opportunities you need to seek out. And it doesn't always have to be about a title. It may be about your role in an organization or creating your own business. But if you don't take the time to say, here's what I need to do to develop and to get there, and here are the risks I need to take – and let the people know who can help you make that happen, then you really are, you're relying on your hard work, but also a lot of luck. And I, while we all in, enjoy good luck, I would, I'd like, I wish I'd been more purposeful about it. But I got really lucky and I'm in a great place right now. Is there a personal habit you believe has contributed to your professional success? I I probably can't point to one specific thing other than something I learned when I was, you know, early as an auditor. Um, and it's about making making those lists of the critical things that you have to get done. In today's world with technology uh, and the never-ending to-do list, it really does feel like you, you can't get ahead. You can't get things done. And when you're in audit, you, you've got those checklists, you've got that ticklet, and you tick things off as you get them done. And there's a lot of satisfaction. This will tell you how old I am. I was back when there were these things called tick pencils, which a lot of your audience may have never heard or seen. And it had one end had red lead and the other end could have blue or green. And as you did certain procedures, you'd put a check mark because we were on the old 14 column. We weren't even using computers at the time. Um, there's great satisfaction when you can look at something and you see a lot of checks that it's been completed. And I, I, I have an ongoing to-do list and have had it throughout my career. And when I get something done, I, I check it off. But it also keeps me mindful of what things are yet still to be done. But I still have the satisfaction of completing things. Also, when I have things listed, I can look and say, What's on this list that someone else could do? I can empower them. I can delegate to free myself up, and they'll enjoy doing it. Um, what things should I just not even do at all? And it just helps me having that list. I'll admit also sometimes just to get the day going, I may have already done something, but it, and it wasn't on the list. I'll write it down just so I can put a check mark by it. So I say I have got something done today. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? 
I actually, uh, a recent book I let, I read, and I think I would recommend it to any leader or manager, not just in finance, but it's uh, The Coaching Habit. It's by Michael Bungie Stainer. Um, it's very short. It's very easy to read, and it it helps you think about how to be a better coach, coaching in the moment, listening to your team, your employees about, you know, what are they thinking about what's going on with them? And just by listening and, you know, saying, and what else and what else, instead of going through their list of their to-do list, you, you really get to understand what's important to them, maybe what's keeping them from being successful in completing that list or where they need help. So it's about listening. The other great thing about the book is um, there are a lot of references to where you can go look at a YouTube video and see something. And a lot of it's some humorous to help you with things. Um, one of the, the things in the books is about killing wombats, and a wombat's a little animal in Australia, and uh, what the wombat stands for is waste of money, bandwidth, and time. And so we, I read the book, had my team read it, and we actually say have wombat hunts so we can go take care of that waste and focus on the things that really are going to drive that differentiated value for the sealed air businesses. Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? So over the next 12 months, my number one priority, uh, as it always is, is that the people on my team and making sure we have the right people that we're investing in them to help them be successful and making sure we have a very robust talent management and development plan. That comes first because any other goal that I would have as a finance leader or as an executive facility or I will fail if, if if I don't meet that core fundamental. Then beyond that, it is this continued transformation of the finance team to really be strong business partners uh, where they're, they are hand-in-hand with the businesses. Again, they've, they've got to be very flexible, have a lot of agility to deal with things because we're moving fast, developing those insights driving that differentiated value uh, because we, we're we still in a transformation. We, we had a lot of low-hanging fruit to get the basics right for this company uh, when 
the management team largely changed in 2012 and 2013. We've done a lot of that. And now it's that transition to truly become a knowledge-based company. So we have to make sure we're operating at an optimal cost structure to invest in innovation and R&D and that we are bringing in market intelligence and that we're supporting the business and its transformation to digital because we're moving from being a company that makes great stuff to being that knowledge-based company where we have to be so connected with our customers on a digital basis to help them run their operations more efficiently. Um, And that link we have with them and that great partnership, we need to take it to a totally different level. And we from a pure finance perspective, that will not happen if we don't have the right talent, we're not investing if we don't invest in that talent, and if we don't empower them to be engaged to help drive that forward. Carolyn, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. It's been a pleasure. Hi, it's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever-so-short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, It's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.